Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. I love evolving conversations so much, and good news, I found someone else who does too. So this week, my conversation on the podcast is with Jeevana Heyman, and he and I align on so much, especially in regards to the lack of nonprofits in the yoga landscape, that I think I must have said the phrase, I 100% agree, something like 20 times while we were talking. Ultimately, I think the main point Jeev and I both align on is that we are, to use his word, obsessed with yoga teaching and ultimately the yoga industry. I also think this interview with Jeev and I will hearken back to another interview not long ago with Joanne Spence. Joanne co-authored a book on trauma-informed yoga teaching, and Jeev and I has himself just authored a book on teaching yoga accessibly. Both of these books are sure to be on your 2024s. YTT read lists, so make sure you watch out for when they drop. But the real reason I bring this up is because both Jeevana and Joanne say the same thing. We can make yoga accessible and trauma-informed, and this can exist wherever you teach, so you won't want to miss this chat. But before we begin, let me say this. You should probably be on my newsletter list. Each Monday, I come out with a newsletter that talks about pre-orders that have dropped for books in our space, like the two I just referenced, industry stats and trainings that I see, podcasts and books that might be helpful, and it also reminds you to care for yourselves the way that you care for other people. That last one is a true passion of mine. Those of us who own businesses, and that's you, even if you aren't a studio owner, you own the business of your own yoga teaching. We so often get stuck in the hustle that we forget to really nourish and care for ourselves. So make this your mindful holiday season resolution. Take some time for yourself. And if you join my list, I will make sure to remind you. Also, thanks as always to Sunlight Streams, our podcast sponsor. Sunlight runs a self-care blog that you need to read. You can find content on workplace wellness and all sorts of other self-care content at www.thesunlightexperience.com backslash blog. Now, let's chat with Jeevana Heyman. Hey, friends. Welcome. This week on the podcast, I'm really excited to talk to my guest, Jeevana Heyman. Jeevana, introduce yourself for anybody who might not know who you are. Um, thanks, Rebecca. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm My name's Jeevana. My pronouns are he and him. And I'm joining you from Chumash Land, which is Santa Barbara, California. Um, 
I'm the founder of the Accessible Yoga Association and the co-founder of the Accessible Yoga School. And um, I've written a couple of books, Accessible Yoga and Yoga Revolution. And, you know, I've been teaching yoga for a really long time. I'm coming up on 30 years, actually, um, which is, <laughs> shows how old I am. <laughs> well, I started teaching when I was like five. No, uh, no. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. And I, you know, I'm, a, I'm slightly obsessed with yoga teaching in particular. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you about it. I want, okay, I want to hear all about it. 30, okay, 30 years, that's way too long for any of us to be doing it <laughs> <Maybe> too long. <laughs> so thanks for doing it with us. So I was diving into the Accessible Yoga website. You are the person who coined the term Accessible Yoga. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, well, you know, I was, um, I started teaching because I was, um, I mean, I loved yoga. I actually learned yoga from my grandmother when I was a kid. Um, she was really incredible, very ahead of her time. But then I came back to yoga when I was in my like early 20s. I was an AIDS activist and, you know, I'm a gay man and I was, I kind of came out right in the middle of the AIDS epidemic and it was really devastating. And so yoga really helped me. And so I wanted to share it with my community. And so I decided to become a yoga teacher just to do that. And, um, and then I started using the term accessible yoga around 2007 because I was leading teacher training and, and my student, my disabled students weren't coming to the teacher trainings. And so I started a special training for disabled students or really anyone who felt like they didn't fit in to become a yoga teacher. And we called that accessible yoga training. Um, I think that was when I first used that term. Yeah. I, I love that the term now is like instantly identifiable for so many of us. We know and understand hopefully what it means to be accessible. Um, this idea of us being accessible is something that I'm always playing with. So I'm curious why you're frustrated teaching today and right now, and then we'll move into where you hope you see us going in the future. I mean, I'm not really frustrated so much as um, obsessed. I, I'm just like, I'm very, um, what's the word? Yeah, I'm, I just... I really love teaching yoga and I'm kind of obsessed. So that's the Wimbia word I, I meant to use. I just, I think about it all the time. I teach a lot. Yeah. I train yoga teachers a lot. And I think that's why, because I'm training mostly that I'm just thinking about how I can help yoga teachers do better. I just think, I think we've kind of failed a little. Maybe that's part of it. I, I do think that um, generally, you know, if you look back over the last 30 years, um, things aren't great, you know, like yoga exploded, but in a very particular way, serving a very specific audience. And I think a lot of people were left out. And I think it's changing. Like, I do feel like there's a shift in the last, maybe through COVID in, in particular, moving online, things seem more accessible. There seems to be more awareness around accessibility and inequities in yoga, like issues like racism and fat phobia. Um, ageism i think there's more consciousness now but maybe just beginning <laughs> yeah i i agree with you i think on the forefront of our brains and i love that you brought up covid firmly covid made us more accessible to folks do you feel that way too oh yeah i mean covid was like 
an example of the way that disabled people have been asking for accommodations and for increased access forever. And then all of a sudden over COVID, like we all used those, you know, skills and asked for those accommodations and created them. You know what I mean? Like working from home, having online programs, all these things all of a sudden just everywhere. And I think that's something that, you know, people with disabilities had been telling us they needed for a long, long time. And so, I mean, like usual, um, marginalized communities are the leaders in creating change in the world. I feel like as a queer person, you know, the queer community is always kind of ahead of the game in terms of culture, yeah. you know, and I think we see that with the disabled community too. So, you know, I think COVID was an, an opportunity for kind of like business as usual to pause. And of course now it's kind of come back. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's come back a little differently. And I, yeah. I know that Accessible Yoga, online yoga studio, and there's more of that out there, which I think, do you, are you seeing that happen? Like, are people still hungry for the online experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's mixed. I think that we're in a strange period right now, um, kind of finding our way back. I mean, COVID's still happening. It's not over. No. But I think a lot of the world is acting like it's over. And so, um, you know, there's people that are back in studio. And then there are those that are kind of still online. It's not the rush to be online that we saw a few years ago. But I think it's shown to be a really valid platform and format for teaching and practicing yoga. I think online classes and trainings are just so much more accessible. I mean, people have busy lives. They don't have to go anywhere. They can do yoga at home with a community that they find. Actually, you can find a more welcoming community, right? Like that's yes. the thing about accessible yoga. We have people all over the world. You know, it's like we can find each other easier. So we moved everything online and I don't think we're going to go back to in-person as a nonprofit because we can reach people more easily. And it's less expensive often to connect online. You can fit it into your schedule. You can watch recordings of programs later. You know, there's so many ways that it's more flexible. You can always pause and walk away. You know, a lot of times what I found um, when I used to teach in-person trainings before COVID, it was like intensive days that just wore people out. And yes. you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't want us to have to do that anymore. I told the story oftentimes yoga therapist when I was a single mom with a two-year-old and I had to leave my child for two weeks and live in the mountains and yes it was beautiful and all that stuff but it sucked yeah. <laughs> I would, I'm so glad that we have made our training so much more accessible I often wondered we complained for years that we a certain type of person in the yoga industry and I went well have you looked at how we trained only a certain kind of the time to sit in a yoga studio for 18 hours over three days yes exactly and, and can afford it yeah yeah and could afford it like other people on the weekends you know yeah no I agree I think that I, I mean we hadn't really gone online before actually I have to mention Amber Carnes you know really helped me because she was already teaching online and she kind of helped me learn how to move online when COVID started and 
it just was like a revelation. I was like, oh my God, you know? So actually I haven't gone back to in-person. I'm going to do my first in-person program in November this year. And I'm, I'm a little nervous. It's just, it's like exciting, but I just love being, I love teaching online. I love just working from home and being able to care for myself more. Cause like I was traveling full-time before COVID and it was exhausting. (laughs) I did five conferences last year in 2022. And I was like, never get five. It's too many for me. I'm like, I'm tapped out at that many. It's tiring to travel. It is exhausting. I, I used to be on the road. I mean, you know, my husband and I have, have two kids that we adopted and I was the stay at home dad because I'm a yoga teacher yep. and I didn't make <laughs> enough money to support us. And he had like a nine to five job at the university. And you know, the minute they were old enough, like once my kids were in middle school, I just like was off and teaching and I was like never to be seen again, but it just took a toll on me physically. Like I didn't even realize until I stopped actually during COVID, I didn't realize actually what I had been doing. Like I wasn't eating that well. I wasn't exercising enough. I wasn't practicing enough. Um, I wasn't resting well. It was just, you know, traveling is exhausting and it's fun occasionally, but to do it a few weeks a month, Yep. is just too much. And so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really grateful that I can teach online and reach more people actually. So, you know, my programs have been doing well online and I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. Anyone who comes to my <laughs> trainings online. Well, you bring up a really good point, especially in the trap, you know, so you've been teaching 30 years, I'm on 22. So you're a few years ahead of me, but first coming up as teachers that was like the pinnacle of what we could do right yeah you got good enough and knew enough people you would travel as a yoga teacher like that path and now online has offered us something completely different and love that yeah i think i think actually online teaching has leveled the playing field a little bit. It's a lot easier, I think, for teachers, yeah, to get out there and to offer their programs directly to the public. We don't have to go through as many other, like before COVID, it was very much like a click that I saw the way that yoga studios, the big yoga studios, you use the same people all the time. And then you could kind of get into that. If you get, you have to get known enough or something. It was like a fame game. Yes. There's still some of that. Yeah, just still some of that, but it's not as much. I don't think it feels a little more open now, which is amazing. Um, I see a lot of newer teachers offering programming and I'm doing, it seems like they're doing well. Yeah, I agree with you completely that it has leveled the best of ways because now you can find a teacher who, who you and what you want to learn and how you want to learn. And that gives us all more opportunities. I think that's better for everybody. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I mean, I, I, and I and going back to what you said earlier, I think it creates more opportunities and for more diverse voices. And so, you know, if you look back like 20 years at who were the big names in yoga, I think it was a very specific person, you know, like yes, really yes. white. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's changed. I think the big names in yoga right now are just much more diverse. And I don't know if I could even say who the big names are. It's like, I think I could think of a ton of people. Yes. Um, yeah. So let me ask you about running a nonprofit in the yoga space, because 
actually co-founded a local nonprofit that we had a COVID took a past COVID, but a nonprofit is a unique way to go with people. Can you tell us what the experiences of organizing and directing a nonprofit? You have all my hats off here, Jeevana, because it's a hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, I I want to be positive <laughs> if I can. Just say like it's amazing to see the way our community comes together. We have just such a dedicated group of of people that you know an amazing board that's all volunteer, just incredible, led by Anjali Rao and just amazing group of teachers, and also an amazing staff who are just so dedicated, who work for way less than they should get paid, and then we have a ton of ambassadors who are our members who support us and so i think to me to me it only works because it's a community project and i feel like i'm just kind of helping to organize that you know what i mean like i feel like i'm an organizer yeah. a community organizer which is what i was back when i was doing aids activism i mean community organizing is the heart of activism and i I think the challenges are financial, you know, because there's just not a lot of money out there for yoga nonprofits. And I'll just be honest and say that I think that the yoga, I, I think it's a problem that we really need to address. I think maybe it, to me, it's the biggest issue that I see, which is that, I mean, yoga nonprofits aren't perfect, but I think the lack of them is a huge problem. It's like, we have these mega organizations, yes. you know, like Yoga Alliance and even IAYT. And then there's like, what, what else is there? You know what I mean? It's like, where are the other voices other than individual teachers? It's like, there's a real, to me, there's a huge gap. I mean, I can name a couple, but that's all I can name is like a handful. Can yes. Yeah. I agree with you a thousand percent. Number one, there is not a lot of fun nonprofits out there. If I, I feel like my team, like if there was more, we would, we were, scraping up every possible lead that we could have had. Nonprofits offer a really specific thing in any community, caring for the people who don't have easy access. Right. That, that is a nonprofit. And we like inherently with yoga, our philosophy, our philosophy should steer us towards really supporting the nonprofit space and yet we oftentimes those things are missing here and i want more of that for us i want more more use around <laughs> yeah thank you i i do too actually i would love to see more organizations like us i i think that well i know how much we struggle financially um, to be honest we just yeah. lost a major grant that we've been getting for four years and so we're really we're in a hard moment financially as an organization and, and i'm thinking about this a lot i feel to be honest, I think yoga has gone the way of like everything else in the US, which is that, um, you know, certain, a small group of people and organizations have all the resources and then yes. there's everyone else. Yes. And it's like the ones with all the resources are, you know, some yoga organizations that I mentioned, but also of course the businesses like the clothing companies and the prop companies and stuff. And, and I don't mean to just I'm not trying, I don't know, what's the word? I'm not trying to just complain, but I think <laughs> that something needs to shift. Like wh why isn't there this middle ground of like medium-sized yoga orgs 
serving, like you said, serving special communities. Yes. I can think of a few, like I just name like prison yoga project or, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah. And, um, give back yoga. I mean, but, and, and you know, why 12 SR, those yep. are all kind of connected. You know, it's like, what else is there? I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. It's like, I mean, we could criticize yoga Alliance, I guess, and say in a way yoga Alliance, I think is hoarding resources. They're public, um, by public accounting currently, they have over $24 million and, and assets. And I just think <laughs> that's just unbelievable because accessible yoga nonprofit, we have a budget of this year, our budget's $166,000 and we won't reach that actually in income. We won't make $166,000. And I feel like we provide so much service. Yes. Comparable even to Yoga Alliance with net assets of 24 million. And I just think there, there's something off in this equation. You know what I mean? Something's not right. And, and like I said, it's kind of the nature of things in the US right now. I think we can look at that across the board in terms of the way that companies have hoard resources. Um, and it's, it's upsetting because it, I think, as you mentioned, it doesn't reflect the yoga teachings, right? Yes. I, I think, yes, you've brought up so many really good points in this, and I, I have all the feelings, Jeevan. <laughs> but one of the things I want to point out is that we spend so much money in athleisure wear every year, and yet I cannot possibly, like, we have hit up Peloton, we hit up all the, all the companies that make billions off of our industry, and we don't see that money anywhere. And I promise you, nonprofits, like, we will take your money. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like, and, and it blows me away that we're also not holding the companies whose products literally were made for our practice, Lululemon, particularly, yeah. which at last, like, I researched this in the summer, and I think their valuation was something like $14 billion. Yes, they make approximately $6 billion in profit a year. Yeah. It's I crazy. mean, a year. <laughs> and the fact that we're not seeing that money coming into nonprofit spaces, like that's typically been the game. If you're a Fortune 500 company, the game is that you make so much money you give back so that you look ethical to other people. Right. <laughs> I mean, they do give away money and we've gotten some. They give away approximately, from my understanding, about one or two million dollars a year, which is, you know, a, a lot of money. But when you make six billion dollars in profit, it's actually an infinitesimally, infinitesimally small percentage. And I want to call out Yoga Alliance again because Yoga Alliance, who has twenty-four million dollars in assets, in their last public reporting, gave away four hundred thousand dollars in oh. a year. That's that's a tiny percentage, again. Traditionally, a foundation, as you mentioned, so to be an official foundation, um, which Yoga Alliance is not any longer, but actually to have that tax, you know, like, yes, um, whatever it's called. Their tax bracket, their C3 status versus a C6 to, status. Yeah, to be a foundation, you have to give away 5% of your assets every year. So I feel like that's kind of an, a guide, at least for in the past, to how foundations usually work. And I feel like you know, for any, to me, anyone who's working in the yoga world 
should be giving away 5% if they're a for-profit company, at least 5% of their profits. And that's, I mean, we're talking profit um, or, or even more generously, we could say their assets um, every year to nonprofits in that world. And it doesn't have to be to accessible yoga. I mean, there's so many others, you know, Absolutely. Black Yoga Teachers Alliance, there's another one that needs money. Yes, I, I think you're right. And it is part of our, if we are, I, I feel like this point of money exchange within our industry is a point we need to really talk about that point when somebody gives us money, because the minute we've made money within yoga, we need to be thinking about how we can also do service, be the saver of it, shall we say. And there are a thousand ways for you to give back in this community, but give back within yoga, like give, that's important too. Yeah. Yes, it is important. I think, right. I, I think that accessibility and equity in yoga is key. I think that there's been a lot of damage done, like I mentioned in the last 30 years by making yoga seem exclusive. And so it feels like we can actually now share yoga and make it accessible to communities that really need it, could really benefit benefit from the practice. And we do that by funding the people in those communities. You know, and I think, and that's one of the things that I'm really focused on is training yoga teachers within communities themselves rather than, yes. you know, it's not the white savior thing, like go in and fix everything, but actually empower people to become teachers and and diversify the teaching pool. I think that's how we shift the future of yoga to become more equitable and accessible is by focusing on who it who is it that is actually taking a teacher training. And like we had a we had a program, a scholars program where we were giving grants um, directly to people who want to take 200 hour trainings that we did the last three years. And we had to stop because we have no money. I mean, we can't we can't do it anymore. And it's sad because we had amazing people getting funded. Incredible, incredible, diverse individuals <laughs> taking teacher training through that program. And I wish we could do more. I, this is something that I feel like is really important that you've mentioned, because oftentimes I think the conversation about equity and diversity and accessibility within the yoga space starts and stops with the students who take classes in the room, instead of looking at who are running the studios and who's teaching at the studios and who are the people who are the decision makers within the industry. You're right, we need to train more teachers that look like a whole diverse range of human beings who have a whole diverse range of experiences as human beings, mm -hmm. because that's how this all becomes more inclusive. I think you're 100% correct. Yeah. If I can, I can um, talk about my work a little bit. I'll just say that I, I just Absolutely. finished writing a book um, called The Teacher's Guide to Accessible Yoga. And it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a manual, but not, but like, but not, it's not like, it's not so much about the basics of teaching, but more like all the other things you need to know right now to make yoga accessible in terms of being a teacher. And it's funny because I was so focused on that, like what's happening inside the classroom. And then it just, like what you just said, really keeps kind of echoing in my head, which is that it's just not enough. Like, like it's yeah. great to do that. It's great. And, and not only great, it's essential that all yoga teachers know how to make te their yoga teaching accessible. Otherwise, I would say they're not actually teaching yoga, to be honest. Right. To me, yes. if, if your classes aren't accessible, then I don't. you're, you're doing something else. 
because yoga is a universal spiritual practice. And it, if what you're doing is not available to everyone who wants it, then you're doing something else. But regardless of that, I think this other part is so important. And it's like, who is a teacher and who feels like they can be in that position of power? I, in the book, I talk a bit about imposter syndrome because of this, because I was like, if what I found so frustrating is that over the years, as I train yoga teachers, so many people who have diverse backgrounds, like disabled people who step up to take a teacher training, then when they, after the training, there's just like this huge, like, I don't know what, like insecurity that comes up or imposter syndrome that comes up. Like, I don't look like a yoga teacher. I'm not, people won't come to me. I can't put myself in that position. You know what I mean? And so I see there's this other, I don't know, like internalized problem of this too, which is like, who, who, what does a yoga teacher look like and who can take the seat of teacher? Yeah, you're exactly. So uh, I was just talking not long ago with somebody about this idea that after somebody trains to be a, a yoga teacher, they've done their 200 hours, they stop and they feel lost. Like now what? And for some reason, as an industry that we talk about how we need to be more inclusive and we need to have more people and we all need to make more money, all these things that we want to improve, but yet we've taught a whole bunch of people how to swim while standing on the side of a pool and then they graduate, we push them in and then <laughs> best of luck. You've never been in water yet, but good luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, the thing is, that. Yeah. Uh, there's another piece to it too, which I know everyone listening is probably thinking, which is there's not enough work for yeah. there's too many teachers being trained in a sense like because I love yoga teacher teacher training and I don't want to discourage anyone from taking it but I think that taking a 200 hour training is not going to mean that you can get a make a career out of teaching yoga you know it's like there's just too many of us but I think the fact is that your 200 hour training is a great way to deepen your practice and potentially prepare you to be a teacher if that's something you are really passionate about right like you really have to have like this intense drive or something motivating you like a community you really want to serve and so the it's a two-sided thing there's insecurity imposter syndrome but then there's like you said like it's scary we don't know we don't teach people how to actually get work Yes. And there isn't work out there to get. I mean, I have to say there's not a lot of work for yoga teachers. Like I, I don't know if it's possible to make a living just teaching yoga unless you like, I don't know, really hustle or you have a lot of experience. I mean, I do, I make a living teaching yoga, but I, like I've been doing it for 30 years. Yes. And how we came up is so different than the experience that teachers today are coming up. I mean, I remember when I was, I mean, I'm lucky to be an able-bodied human being and I was teaching 18 classes a week right. when I was coming up. I mean, there's not 18 classes a week worth of work for the amount of people who are trained to be yoga teachers now. Yeah. But I, but I, well, I was kind of trying to say like, I love yoga teacher training because I think it's one of the few places people have an opportunity to go deep into the teachings. I, I think it's one of the few places we get to explore yoga philosophy. So yes. I would never discourage anyone from taking a teacher training, except for, you know, if they have this idea that if I take a 200 hour training, then I can be a full-time yoga teacher. That's just not possible. It's like take a 200 hour training to deepen your practice, 
and consider pursuing teaching in a way or to teach on the side you know if yeah. you want to teach professionally like full-time you'll have to get a ton more training um, or really push yourself in some other way yes it's a very different thing and if you're out there now and i i know i harp on this at this podcast a lot because this is something that's worked really well at my studio is that we don't train 200 hour yoga teachers but i do a studentship course so it is some of those elements of a teacher training where you're learning more deeply how to move your body and pranayama and we're meditating and we're studying the philosophy but you don't have to be a yoga teacher at the end of it and it costs a lot less so the knowledge is more financially accessible to people we like the cycle of training people to be yoga teachers especially in a studio model where you have a brick and mortar like that is just a recipe for disaster that's how we got here we have to be doing something different in the future yeah i mean i love that you're doing that and i and i've tried to offer programs like that many times i find they're not as popular as teacher training because it's almost like because the opportunity for teacher training is out there it's like well i could invest almost the same amount of time or almost the same amount of money in this you know that and, and actually potentially get this diploma or a certificate at the end but I, I want to say like the other side of it in defense of the 200 hour training, which I don't think anyone in the world has ever defended them, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm sitting down. Okay. <laughs> it's actually pretty accessible. Yeah. And it actually offers an opportunity for people who don't have a lot of time and money to become a yoga teacher, which I think could lead to the other thing we talked about, which is diversifying the pool of yoga teachers out there and potentially diversifying yoga. So I kind of think, it has a really good side to it that like a lot of people can take it. And that's also its downfall. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you make a really good point. I mean, essentially when we start to dive deeper into, so what happens with training? Cause that's pretty much the thing, right? Is that when people start to have these bigger conversations about the industry, everybody goes, how we train isn't good enough, long enough, whatever. But if we move to say a higher education model where it takes years to train to be a yoga teacher, for example, that's wildly less accessible than what's happening right now. Exactly. Who, who will be able to do that? You know, it's like, I mean, I'm a yoga therapist too, and you can yeah. look at uh, who, who are yoga therapists and what Correct. those are, you know, a pool of people that are generally white, generally financially well off and well educated and I just think that sucks like yoga therapy does not need to be like that and I know that there's an effort at the IYT to change that but they have their work cut out for them because of that right it's like yes. whenever you make the standard higher you're immediately kind of taking opportunities away from people who have who don't have resources don't have time you know and, and anytime you, cr you create more qualifications, it's kind of like gatekeeping. It is. And what I worry about is that instead of, and, and I do understand because this is kind of, we're seeing this on a bigger scale in our higher education system here in the U.S., right? So trying to figure out how we can justify having people pay more money for a job that you can't work full time at. Like, how could we... How, how, how does that work exactly like you already yoga therapy training for example is sometimes tens of thousands of dollars yeah. and 
is there enough work out there for a yoga therapist to make their money back even? I mean, I certainly did, but again, I've been doing this 22 years, so it's a different yeah. ball game than now. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> these are all the questions <laughs> I ponder at length. I, I, I have one idea, um, which is, you know, that I'm, I'm, I think if, if for me, my goal is accessibility, equity, diversity within yoga. And so with that goal in mind, I do think there are some things that could change. I think we could create kind of a, a slightly higher education level that focus on that aspect. And to be honest, I've been pondering this, like doing something like this, but I feel like, you know, like what if, what if there was something where like you, be, you, you had to be a 200 hour teacher, but then you had to take like an additional, I don't know what, like 50 hours or hundred hours of training. So not like a giant piece, but like continuing education that is enough to like give you a little more education and some experience. Like you have to actually had been teaching for a little bit to kind of identify yourself as someone who truly is embodying this aspect of yoga, right? Of being able to make it more accessible or equitable. You know what I mean? I, I do because I've had those conversations very recently as well with a couple very specific people as we, uh, I've made some friends. There's a inclusive and socially justice focused yoga festival here in the Midwest. And one thing that the conversations have evolved amongst us teachers over the years, those of us who have come to teach at this festival, is my experience as a cishet white woman in any yoga space, in any festival setting, is very different than people who are disabled, people who are people of color, um, queer folks. Like, I'm having a very different experience. And I have to say, we all got together and I was like, how can we make it so that you all have the same experience I have? Because I'm worried about a lot less when I go into a studio or a festival. And there must be a way that we can educate studio owners and trainers and folks who are higher up in the yoga industry space to be able to teach them the basics. I mean, some of, some of this is just the basics. like. How, yeah. how does that happen? So yes, I'm with you because I think there's a huge need for that within the industry. Well, I mean, that's why I wrote this last book. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, so at least what I can do is share what I think people should know. So here's a book that, I mean, which is, you know, it's coming out in January, so I can pitch it again, I guess, is that um, the teacher's guide to accessible yoga, I'm hoping is that like, kind of just a guide for people who want to do this work. Yeah. new or experienced teachers, I kind of just summarize all the different skills and kind of awareness that a yoga teacher feels, I feel like a yoga teacher needs to have today um, to make their teaching accessible. And then I also, you know, I lead trainings. I, I have a 40 hour training, the accessible yoga training that is continuing education for yoga teachers. That's kind of the basics of like, what basic information do you need to make your classes more accessible in terms of incorporating well actually i say it this way it's like teaching in a way that's truly in honors and reflects the heart of the yoga teachings like i mentioned earlier which is that this is universal and everyone should feel like they're equally participating no one is left out or excluded and so i think to do that requires particular skills 
And I found, I found those skills and many experienced teachers have, but I feel like I might as well also share them with people <laughs> and tell you how to do that. I'm like how to teach a class where people are practicing at many different levels at the same time. And no one feels like it's less or more than the other. And I think that's, it's some basic skills that we can learn to do that. It's not like, it's not out of reach. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's, I, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I love that you're talking about it is basic skills and i do think this idea of inclusion and accessibility sort of exists on two levels at one level it is the basics like look there are just things that you can do to make your yoga teaching and yoga classes more accessible but also the thing that i have noticed is that i am keen to also evolve the conversation past the check boxes that we have of like okay so i'm not going to say namaste at the end uh, you know here here's how i'm doing these things like i also am keen for us to be having that conversation too like also how do we create institutions that have accessibility and inclusion built into them to such a degree that we don't have to even talk about it anymore they're just there the way accessible yoga has yeah well again i would call out our larger organ yoga organizations and say that to me the only point of like bureaucracy or government, in my opinion, is to make things level. You know what I mean? Is to like yes. kind of is to support those who don't have a voice. I mean, that that's why you would have bureaucracy is to level the playing field. But that's not how these systems are currently used, at least in the US. But I feel like that <laughs> could happen, right? Like that again, Yoga Alliance, like I think. To me, Yoga Alliance should only exist to do the things we're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. why why exist if you're not focused on equity and accessibility in yoga? I mean, they say they are actually, but they don't sure. really do anything in that vein. I think that there's so much that could be done. Um, all the things we've talked about today, you know, in terms of literally training teachers with the skills they need to do that inside the classroom. And that will have a ripple effect, but also then looking at teacher training, the curriculum, and also who's taking those trainings. Is it financially affordable? Scholarships. There's like so much that can happen to shift this on a, on a larger scale. And yeah, I mean, accessible yoga, like I, we're tiny in a way. Like I think we have, I, I think, I hope we're having an impact, but I think considering the size of our organization, like, you know, what do we have? Like five part-time staff, and like I mentioned, a tiny budget really for any organization. Yeah. There's just only so much we can do. And I, I'm really wondering like, what's the next step for this, for the yoga community? I, I wish I, I wish I had more control. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried yoga for that? <laughs> I'd like to control other people. Oh yeah, that's right. I can't do that. I forgot. Yeah. I'm very well, let me say this first of all before you tell everybody where to find you how to donate to accessible yoga and how to buy your new book i do want to say yoga alliance i talk about you a lot on this podcast podcast so i want to tell you you look pretty and your outfit's nice today but also <laughs> re-listen to all of this because we have some very good suggestions for you <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> they do occasionally listen to me i mean i talk to them sometimes but yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's cultural in a sense of the way that 
capitalism works and yes. and how things work in the U.S. I'm not sure that it's changeable in this moment, but I what I think the heart of it and what really gets to me, and I've mentioned this a few times, is that yoga itself teaches something very different, and and I just feel like and you kind of mentioned this too it's like it's different in yoga it's like fine if you have a business and you sell stuff but it's it's if yoga is a thing that you're selling you have to do it differently you have to follow the yoga's ethical guidelines or it's not yoga and yoga is very clear ethics comes first without ethics there's no yoga and i would say the beautiful thing about yoga ethics is they automatically create accessibility all the things we're talking about literally would happen instantaneously if people actually applied yoga's eth ethical principles like non-harm for example so if every yeah. yoga teacher started with a non-harm and thought oh am i harming anyone who comes to my class either by making them feel excluded or less than by not making them feel like they're equally part of this experience then i would change the way i teach that's an example of how yoga's ethics automatically would resolve all of this so i think it's really applying the yoga teachings better or more um, as organizations who have yoga in their name, I think that's what needs to happen. Because if you're not following yoga's ethical teachings, take yoga out of the name of your organization or out of the thing you're teaching. Yes, so you can't see me, but my hands are in the air and I'm waving them <laughs> around. <laughs> if you own a business in yoga, I am going to drop in the show notes a link to my article in the IAYT's Yoga Therapy Today for summer 2023 on how to build Seva into your yoga business. Mm. There's an article in there um, where I tell people how I do it in my business. Um, and if you are feeling so generous, Chivana, will you tell everybody how to find you and how to donate? Sure. So um, our nonprofit is uh, at accessibleyoga.org. That's the Accessible Yoga Association. And then I run the school, Accessible Yoga School. Um, and you can find me there for at accessibleyogaschool.com for trainings and also jeevanahaman.com for my books and other things that I do. And the book is coming out in January, um, wherever books are sold. And I appreciate your support and all your great questions. You got me very excited. Um, I love this conversation. Thank you for coming. I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jeevana. Here are our key takeaways. First, COVID definitely made us more accessible as an industry. The ability to find a welcoming community aligned with who you are is so much easier now that most of us are online. So don't forget to be your authentic self as you interact with others in the online space. It makes a difference when you are working to find your people. Next, make training, making trainings accessible is something that is at the forefront of accessible yoga's work. How we train has always been a system for the privileged, especially when training existed only in person. Seeing this change is exciting and it allows us to share our yoga community with even more amazing humans with new and fresh ideas. This diversity will only make us better and stronger as an industry. Online teaching has leveled the playing field for yoga teachers. Oftentimes before COVID, you had to become incredibly popular before you were able to travel and teach, and that was pretty much the only career path. The internet now allows us an entirely new pathway to build careers as yoga professionals. Next, 
The lack of yoga nonprofit organizations is a big red flag for us as an industry. Full stop. Nonprofits are a sign of a thriving ecosystem where we have built an industry stable enough to not only provide for ourselves, but also to address the needs of those who are not thriving. With that being said, here are a few names of some other great nonprofit organizations in the larger, larger yoga space. Casa de Paz, SLV. They teach yoga to refugees at the border of the United States and Mexico. Flow for Black Lives out of LA. And Mimi's Yoga Kids in Atlanta, Georgia. All do work in their respective communities. And you can go back to previous episodes with their founders, Gina, Osiris, and Mimi, to get more info on these organizations. And finally, empowering folks from all communities to become yoga teachers is really important. The more we see not only a diverse range of yoga students, but a diverse range of yoga teachers, the better off and both ethically and financially stable we will become. Now, next week, I am sharing a discussion with fellow rebel, Nick Danu. Nick is a yoga teacher out of Canada who made her start teaching in churches and other alternative sites for classes. And in spite of the fact that she may look like a rebel, Nick wants to remind you of the same thing that I do. It is okay to make money teaching as a yoga professional. Thanks for joining me around the water cooler, friends. I will see you next time.